My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Hilder. Welcome back to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. So glad to have you here with us. As I speak to you, we are in the thick of one of the most intense summers I've ever experienced here in the desert. And while it is foolhardy to think purely in terms of escape, there is value in finding a cool dark space to hole up in, uh, gathering up the energy needed to make it through. And in that cool darkness, I have found myself turning a lot to romantic piano the third album from our guest this week on the show, Gia Margaret. Her 2018 debut, There's Always a Glimmer, was the striking work of a singer-songwriter, but when medical issues put a strain on her voice, she turned to instrumental music, first with her ambient-leaning self-titled 2020 album, and now Romantic Piano, a collection of moving piano compositions, mostly instrumental, though she does sing now and then, It feels at once meditative and comforting. It's the kind of music that carves out space for the listener. And as it turns out, it's the kind of music that did something like that also for its creator. In this conversation, we discuss the intuitive roots of Gia's music. Working with previous transmissions guest David Bazan of Pedro the Lion and a lot more. This is a thoughtful, spacey conversation for you all as we weather the way out heat of summers in an ever-changing world. I hope you enjoy this one, and if you do and you want to support Transmissions, there's an easy way that you can do just that. If you want to show your support for this show and all the independent cultural work provided by Aquarium Drunkard, just head over to Patreon. Over there, you will find our page, and in addition to all sorts of cool bonus audio, and other surprises, your support will make a difference in our ability to keep sharing what we love musically so that you are able to expand those playlists and figure out what exactly to pick up on Bandcamp Friday and all of that. We believe strongly that supporting independent art is crucial in these times of increased consolidation. So if you want to help us do what we're doing, head over to Patreon pledge your support. We do appreciate it. All right, without further delay, here's Gia Margaret exploring the sounds of her romantic piano. I'll speak with you a little more on the other side. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you. Thanks for being interested. Are you in Chicago right now? Yes, sort of. I I so- live just a bit outside of the city. So I live in Evanston, which is just like m- maybe 30 minutes from Chicago or from where How I long used to live. Where you used to, so you used to live in the city proper. I used to live in the city, yeah. And yeah, and then after pandemic, I just really needed to not live in a city anymore. I just wanted a bit more quiet and I'm closer to the lake now, but I still 
go into the city and I still have access to it. It doesn't really feel that much different. Like I don't feel, yeah, too far away. But 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 a little more space and a little more um Yeah. A little more yeah. solace, a little more more access to nature, which has been just really helpful. And yeah, it's just it's just like a bit quieter. Um I can sure. hear birds when I wake up, which before I used That's to get great. woken up by a um, garbage truck at like <laughs> six thirty every morning. Dif- differing sounds, uh, yeah. different natural mm-hmm. tapestry when the garbage truck is making sounds. Did you record a uh, romantic piano at at your old place in the city? I did. I did some of it in the city. I did some of it at a friend's studio in Evanston, where I where you know I live now, and yeah. Um, Actually, I worked out of two home studios in Evanston and yeah, and then some recording at home, but recording in my apartment was very difficult. Um, It was just really loud. So Sure. I mean, the sounds of garbage trucks and presumably other city sounds. Yeah. And some, I mean, I think a little bit of ambient noise and like some city noise did end up on the record and I think that's okay I just yeah I just really didn't want it on all of the songs so no I totally I I totally dig that but it's funny that you mention it because I did I did make a note I mean and maybe this is just because I got heavily into recording music during the pandemic too um well I mean you were making music before the pandemic I didn't mean to uh insinuate that you had just started but something I really like about this record is the way it feels like it's a part of a broader world I mean there's like bird bird noise bird sound um some of those city noises you mentioned I feel like all of that kind of ends up adding an interesting texture to the record which I feel like was also sort of the case with the one before that too yeah yeah, there was a, a, some field recording on um, the ambient record as well. What What do yeah. you like about sort of bringing the a sense of the broader world in into the record? Is mm-hmm. there a reason for it for you artistically, or is it a little bit more intuitive? I think I think for the first um, for the first instrumental record, it was more intuitive and. I think there were moments that were so attached to those songs that I just thought having a field recording from the day that I recorded it and the time and the season, I just felt like it belonged. Um, With this one, maybe, maybe it's the same situation. I don't know how to like articulate (laughs) why I make certain choices, but with this one, I was listening to a lot of the mixes while I was walking outside and I just grew attached to the sounds that I was hearing around me with the music. Like it just yeah. oddly felt like it belonged. And it, it when I first started this record, I didn't really have any intention of putting like a ton of nature, <laughs> nature sounds sure. all over it, but it just became, I don't know. It just, it just sort of, organically ended up there yeah well it's great i mean it's such a it's such a um it's such a great record it's really in addition to being sort of the qualities that you might expect um a mostly solo piano kind of thing having it's it's got those qualities the sort of uh meditative and soothing qualities but it's also like a surprising record and i and i love the little touches that kind of that dot these songs and i think some of that is those nature sounds and and everything else it it just ends up giving it a scope and i feel like it's easy to you used a really interesting term um, describing this record. I think you said that you wanted the music to be useful. And I've been thinking a lot about what that might mean. What does usefulness in music um, mean to you? And and before I let you answer it, I'll just say that the reason I thought about that is because I could definitely see listening to this record to decompress or mm-hmm. to... Uh, 
to allow for some space, you know, in a world that often doesn't feel like there is much space. Um, it's a very spacious record. So I, I, I feel like I kind of know what you mean, but I'd love to hear more about what you mean when you use the word useful mm -hmm. to describe music. Well, I mean, this music during a pandemic, which, you know, pandemic was hard. And then in my own life, I had so much going on and was just going through a really hard time. And I didn't feel, I didn't feel like I wanted to like outwardly express what I was metabolizing or like what I was sure. going through. And I thought it would be more useful for me. And it felt like more of a service to whoever was listening to it to be able to have it take on its own meaning for whoever was, you know, listening. Um, right. So, yeah, I just felt like that was the path that I was on and that was my intention. And this music helped me decompress in a time when I was like very anxious, very unsure of so much, just like we all were. And, um, yeah, I just, I didn't feel like I had like a huge statement to make. And I just was immersed in this music and yeah, I just, I just wanted to make something that, that may be helpful in, in the same yeah. way that it was helpful for me. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, no big time. It does. And I, I think I know what you mean. I, I think there's such interesting things happening right now where the more practical applications of music are being sort of thought about. Right. So it's like, I guess I, I'm thinking of like the lo-fi beats to study to YouTube, uh, channel. Do you, have you ever checked that out? Yeah, I have. Do you know what that is? Yeah, okay. <laughs> the the little girl, uh, you know, or, or or young girl studying and 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 these kind of unintrusive but pleasant enough beats that mm -hmm. play. And I think that it's easy to understand that kind of music, right? Where it almost feels like a uh, a descendant of Muzak or um, just sort of audio wallpaper mm -hmm. does that does that does that register what i'm what I, i'm yeah, saying um, yeah totally and so i think that that's often when we think of usefulness or utility i think that's the application that a lot of people sort of uh, find themselves drawn to and i feel like on one hand i'm very reluctant to um dismiss that because i i get it right but at the mm. same time, I I don't feel like that's what I'm hearing when I'm listening to your record. Mm. I don't feel like I'm hearing music that is, I mean, Eno said famously about ambient music that it could be engaged with passively uh, and be great, but could also be engaged with actively. Mm. And, and some of the things that I feel like you're doing on this record, some of the melodic, um, some of the melodic content, it really does feel more engaged than you know uh lo-fi piano beats to study to or or whatever something that can be uh listened to in a much more passive uh, mm. way uh, uh, for you you know what is the music doing when it's working when you're recording and you're like this is what i want to be making you know is it a situation where you feel like just, just what, what is it? How does, how does the, how does this kind of music signal to you when it's doing what you want it to do? That might be an impossible question to answer. <laughs> I'm trying to think about how to answer that. It might be impossible. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm loving intense ones to I'm start. Trying yeah. To think about because it's all a blur by the end of it. Of course, yeah. I made this record in 2021 and some of 2022. Sure. Um, so it's been a minute. It's been a minute. I think I think with every project and every piece of music that I've made, 
I get this like elevated feeling when I'm making something that I'm willing to share. It just feels, I feel it in my body and I feel like it's just this intuitive knowing that I'm like on the right path and I'm like doing what I should be doing and I'm not forcing anything. Yeah. Um. So I feel like with this music, I mean, I threw a lot of material away while making this record. I probably have two other records worth of piano music that I just felt like um, wasn't worth sharing. Um, sure, sure. I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that you hit on it when you said that when it feels like something you should share, it's like almost an intuitive sense or um, that it's, it, it sort of triggers something within you that indicates this is worth sharing, you know? And I think that when art gets to that, when art gets to that point, usually it's because it's so, <laughs> it's so personal that it ends up crossing into the universal. And I think that that's an interesting thing that can happen. On just a technical level, what was your relationship with the piano like? Was that an instrument that you had spent a lot of time playing previous to making this record? Um, sort of. I, I grew up playing piano, and then I played pian some piano in college and then dropped out and felt very jaded about the instrument in my 20s. So I sort of stepped away. I mean, there's trickles of it in my music. I would always return to it somehow, but not in like a big way. Um, so it kind of was something that I had distance from. And then over time, I noticed that people kept asking me to like accompany them and like play on their recordings. So I kept finding myself back at the piano and I always enjoyed it so much. And I just felt such a reconnection with it, like starting in my thirties, like early thirties. And, um, yeah. And then over pandemic, I decided that I was going to buy a piano. So I did that and I was just spending so much time with it. So, um, yeah, it was definitely like, a, it felt like a reunion and it was also a very, it was a bigger undertaking than I was expecting because I had all of this residual, like, doubt in myself as a player and as a composer like all of the stuff that I that made me drop out of music school just like came back so I had to kind of work through all that again yeah. and, and then yeah just I don't know there's a lot of doubt while I was making this like I just kind of felt like oh like who am I to release piano music like I'm not a real player and <laughs> I don't know. It's well, just crazy, but I'm glad that I did it and worked through it because I really ended up enjoying just coming up with the music and just like writing pieces of music. Yeah. In a way that I don't think I had done to this extent. What could you tell me? What kind of piano did you, did you actually end up getting? I was just getting ready for this interview and then coincidentally this week spending a lot of time with that Keith Jarrett record the uh I think it's the clone concert from 1975 where he's playing this like I guess it was like a Bosendorfer piano but I didn't I didn't realize this it was the wrong piano um the stagehands at this opera house where he performed mistook another piano that was backstage as the one that was supposed to be delivered I guess so it was a, a smaller baby grand and uh, apparently way out of tune. And so they spent hours just even getting it playable. And then um, when Keith Jarrett arrived, he was like, I'm not playing that piano. Um, and so they were like, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get another one in here. And then um, they were informed that they couldn't move the one. It was like raining and there would be all these other issues and it would get destroyed. So he had to use, essentially, this is my long winded way of saying, he had to use a really shitty piano mm -hmm. and ended up, I mean, shitty by, I guess, maybe Keith Jarrett standards or Opera mm -hmm. House standards. Um, but 
something that was so interesting is is realizing that what he ends up playing on that record, all improvised, you know, none of it planned out, was really powerfully impacted by the actual instrument itself, the the physical elements of the instrument that he was using. Meaning, you know, the low end was not very sustaining, so he ended up focusing more on sort of the middle of the keyboard and doing these little tricks to sort of get the bass to sound more sustaining and all this different stuff. So anyway, I guess I would love to hear about the actual piano that you, that you got. How did you find it? And, and what kind of piano is it? Um, I really want to listen to that record. I'm just going to take note of that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I might even have, I, I know it was recorded in Cologne, Germany, and it's spelled K-O-L-N, the Cologne concerts. Anyway, I might be mispronouncing oh, cool. it, which unfor- I'm sure people on this podcast are yelling at me, telling me. I love to hear about how people just make things work. And Oh, me me too, especially when you hear it cuz you're like, what the hell? Like this was a substandard instrument in some way. Right. It doesn't sound like that at all, right? And I really understand being particular about what you like and what you don't sure. like. Sure. But yeah, sometimes when you're given something and you have limitations, it just kind of opens up something else in you I I yeah I like I secretly like when that happens but sometimes it's <laughs> disorienting but um uh, my piano um I found I looked for a long time I probably looked for a piano for about two years um I really like Yamaha pianos and I I like uprights mm. and um I could cannot could not afford like a brand new Yamaha U1, which is what I have. Um, and I, and it's a piano that I spent a lot of time with in a friend's home studio and I don't know, I just fell in love with it. So I found someone, I forget what city it's like two hours from it's in the suburbs somewhere, but this guy Mm -hmm. finds old Yamahas and, and restores them. Um, so mine is from 1971, I think but it has all new bones and sounds oh, so beautiful, cool. but it made it more affordable. And, um, and I like that it's an older instrument. It just feels like it has some life in it. Um, yeah. But, uh, I, <laughs> aspect is the, like the felted, which is becoming very popular, but it has the, the muter. It's a, technically it's a student's like university. Sure uh standard piano so yeah they have the mute option which is nice that that tone has become very popular i feel like a lot of people are employing it but it it does add almost a rhythmic component right to the play i mean there's there's already a rhythmic component to the playing but a percussive extra rhythmic element that i think is just so so beautiful and and when you hear people uh effectively employ that it's it's great you we've we've touched on this a a little bit but um your your debut record the one that came out on arindal records um well as did your second but there's uh there's always glimmer Mm -hmm. you made that record and then you know have since made two instrumental or almost almost entirely instrumental records and i understand that shift into that mode was necessitated by you dealing with mm. an illness that that made it just you know uh unfeasible for you mm-hmm. to sing if it's not too weird or personal um where are you at on on that journey now i mean are you singing on a on I a fairly regular singing. basis yes um i'm singing again and i i have been singing i just haven't released any like songwriter singer songwriter music but um that was difficult but again you know just like that pianist i i had limitations and it forced me to um activate some other muscles that i didn't even know that i had um yeah that's just strange yeah it's strange how things just turn out (laughs) well on one hand it's like it's so easy to see 
how I mean because there's always glimmer is a really great record and you have a, a great singing voice and evocative lyrics like it's easy to see why um, leaving those elements behind for a little while could maybe be scary or nerve-wracking or um, you know whatever I understand just when you're making things you know dread is always just sort of in the corner of the room waiting to take over you know and I could see being like I'm a singer-songwriter what am I gonna do but what you did with your self-titled record where you leaned into synths and you know it is inspiring and and great because it's a reminder that like the songs come from someplace maybe even deeper than Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um and i wonder for you um was there nervousness about whether or not the singing would ever come back into the picture when you started making that second record? Or were you able to shift into uh, a position where you were just sort of excited by the challenge of letting it go for now? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I had like, you know, that little bit of dread that's in the corner. I had that multiplied by like a thousand probably. Um, okay. So big, big dread. A in lots the corner. of dread. I didn't know. <laughs> I was like going to all these different vocal therapists and didn't really have a clear diag. I had sort of a diagnosis and then I was seeing like the wrong doctors. And then finally I figured out what was going on, but that was like probably near to the end of that process of making that record. So while I was making it, I just was, I just felt so doomed and I made the music to keep myself busy and it's all I know how to do. I mean, I couldn't not, I don't know. I'm I'm really surprised that I did it because I was just in such a horrible place, but. Oh my God. Um, yeah, I just didn't know. I just, yeah, I I really, at that point, I didn't know what the future was going to hold. And I didn't know if I was going to sing again and, it was a real like ego death and it was a I don't know like I'm not glad what? that happened but it was it was a good chance for me to like examine what I love about music and so much of it is feeling it's so beyond I think for me and I think it's always been this way that it's beyond like the singing and the lyrics I think the music is the thing that just like makes my heart sing and sink into my stomach even with music that I listen to I find often find myself like so taken by the music before anything else the lyrics are secondary I actually I had a funny conversation with Dave Bazan, who played on the record, and I've been a fan of his for a really long time. I mean, since I was maybe 14 or 15, and I didn't know, like, initially, like, I just didn't know what his songs were about. I just didn't even listen. The The thing that drew, drew me to his music was the music and the and the guitar and the bass and the arrangements and I didn't think about them. I didn't think about the lyrics at all. And it's, yeah, I don't know. It's just funny <laughs> to me because he's well, such a great lyricist and um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I, ha- I totally have a note about Dave, David Bazan here, another transmissions guest as, uh, ha- as Owen um, from Arundel has also been on the show, but I just saw Dave do I just saw him two weeks ago, the page of the lion. Um, they were playing, it's hard to find a friend. Oh, good. And, uh, and control and doing both shows. Yeah. And standing side stage, I have also been a fan of page of the lion and David Bazan since I was 14 or 15. Mm -hmm. And I was taken back by how powerful, a singer he is Mm -hmm. these days. I mean, he always has had a great voice, right? But no, he's better than ever. 
I, I saw, he's better I saw than him ever. on this tour too. And I hung out with him afterwards and I was like, I hope that, you know, like he, you yeah. are better, you sound better than you ever have. And I've seen you so many times and I'm your biggest fan. I know we're friends. I'm sorry if this is weird, but you are like in your prime, like you are better than ever. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. It's so inspiring because yeah. I, I want to be better than ever. <laughs> well, so cool. well, first off, <laughs> I I, comp- I I I think it's it's very clear listening to your trajectory that you are also continually evolving and improving. <laughs> no, I, I I know I know you weren't. I'm, I just but I do want to throw that out there. But I do, but p- part of what I was getting at is he's a he's a better singer than ever, and I realized that the lyrics are incredible and when i got into but you know page of the lion the lyrics were hugely important to me i was always a lyrics kid and i was also big time church kid so like i was really looking for music that spoke literally like yeah. you know in a, in a in a literary way about faith and also mm-hmm. um in a non-pandering mm-hmm. non cheese cheese dick kind of way mm-hmm. about faith um but when i was watching this show i realized you could take the words away yeah. and these melodies alone convey a feeling that is rooted very, very deep in, um, I think, Dave's heart, you know, and then in the audience's heart. And I realized that the words, as great as they are, they they almost do sort of become secondary to the pure expressiveness of the melodies. And so I feel like what you're talking about and realizing that you could make art that still felt um, expressive minus language, Mm. you know, is, is really interesting and great. And I feel like the trajectory from the self-titled record to this new one sort of shows that even more because on the first one, you know, it's a little bit more, uh, on the first one on your first instrumental record um it's like more soundscapey and there are elements um you know some like you said field recording elements you've got that great alan watts um sample which by the way i think the pandemic was very good for the alan watts uh project i would say because i think so many people myself included really ended up turning to that guy's um, lessons and craving stuff like that. So one, I love the uh, inclusion that you did of of that sample. But on this most recent record, I feel like I hear maybe an even purer distillation of your melodic center, Mm -hmm. if that that makes sense. Thank you. That is such a compliment. Um, I do think that this record is much more structured and less soundscapey than the last one. Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads. And as an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million-plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and, of course, add a credit card to purchase album extras. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. I think that in this in in the sort of just vibes internet music culture, mm-hmm. um, a lot of terms have collapsed in on themselves a little bit. So I think ambient means instrumental to a lot of people, or acoustic means quiet. You know, Even or if I can call myself an ambient i don't even know if i can call that an ambient record we just had to put it somewhere well that's why ambient's such a tricky thing right it's like it's a good catch-all in some ways um but no i think that so when i think of when i think of this new record and i know that i'm always so 
I have a hard time with names. I was going to say one, I don't know how to pronounce the song that you uh, worked on with Dave on this new record. How, how's that I don't pronounced? know if I can pronounce it. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> that makes me feel a little better, I got to be honest. I can tell you what it means. What does it mean? It means the language of friendship. Oh, wow. That's great. And it's an instrumental tune. It is. That's, that's so good. And it is really, a, I mean, one, beautiful. And I, when I saw that Dave Bazan was on the record, I assumed that he would be singing. Um, but then realizing that that is, it's a co-write with, what, what's he playing on that? He played, well, he did the drum production. So he took mm. um, field recordings and he turned them into these little crunchy tactile Oh. So good. And he sent me that. And then I just built on top of that. And we just kind of like sent things back and forth. But yeah, so he played, uh, he did drum production. He played bass, which I love. His He's maybe my favorite living bass player. Um, and then he added drums to the end of it. He's such a good drummer and he's an incredible bassist. Um, the first time I ever got to interview him, I think it was like 2000 seven or 2008 I uh I think I talked to him only about bass mm -hmm. because I was just interested in um the fact that he tends to gravitate a lot towards the bass in a live situation so it's it's great that you've got him on there but I also love like just even deeper the idea of the language of friendship and that it is a uh an instrumental song really speaks to that beautiful thing because we're all I feel like Maybe I'm on my Alan Watts trip here a little bit, but like we are all sort of interested in getting to that place where we don't have to say mm. in anything. And I feel like lately, you know, there's like 900 Twitter clones that have launched and everybody's signing up for these new Al platforms. I have no idea and what is going on. <laughs> there's so much. And, and I find myself just being drawn now, granted, I'm somebody who hosts a weekly podcast where I talk for an hour, but um, I find myself just so drawn to this idea of like, gosh, I kind of don't want to say anything. I don't want to come up with a statement mm -hmm. right now. You know what I mean? Social media wise or whatever else. I just want to um, let that yeah. impulse sleep a little bit. So I feel like maybe a little bit that's what you're talking about with that with that song title. But did you have that title in mind or, or was it... Um, I when were you uh, what was that last part no nothing i um, i want to let you answer oh, and then i'll um i didn't know what to call it for a long time yeah i like your um assessment of it i feel like dave and i have that kind of friendship and i haven't even known him that long but and obviously like with the relationship that I have with his music, there's something that, you know, resonates with me and like my soul, which maybe sounds so cheesy, but um, when we first started becoming real friends, I feel like he's a person that I can have such deep conversations with and connect to like more than I connect with the majority of people. Um, but I can also just sit with him on a park bench and like not say anything. And those are my favorite friendships. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's no filler. There's no, he came up with this term. I don't remember what it was, but we talked about it once and I don't know. I just cherish it so much. And it's so special to also be able to make music with someone where you're able to just be as you are. and. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't, I don't know how else to, to, to talk about that, but it's, it feels very special. And, um, that song in particular was just so wonderful to make. And he put such care into every little part. Like I, I probably had maybe six or seven phone calls with him just about the bass part, <laughs> you know, yeah. he just cares about every note and um, I don't know. That's, that's what you want in a friend and collaborator. You want someone that really cares about the little details, especially if you 
care about your work. Yeah. I mean, in some yeah. situations, you I have to tell myself, like, no one is going to care as much as me. But with Dave, I really believe that he cares as much as I yeah. or cared as much as I, I did in this um, context. But yeah. I think that, you know, some of the well, that thing you're talking about, about being able to sit in silence with somebody um, in terms of like mindfulness or a contemplative practice you're always trying to get to that mm. silent that silence right like the the kind of peaceful silence i guess is maybe the way you could put it or or maybe you could even remove the word peaceful <laughs> and just have silence you know it's very hard in our modern culture to abide uh-huh. silence i feel like um i struggle with it you got to have noise going i don't know if you ever I don't know if you're a podcast listener, if you've ever put a podcast on just to have people talking, you know, um, and you're not even really paying attention. It's bizarre, but it is common enough. Um, But I feel like that also further gets to what I hear on Romantic Piano that separates it from simple mood music to me is almost a kind of sacred sense, a sacred sensibility. And I wondered if, you know, in between listening to Pedro the Lion at, you know, 14 and uh, dropping Alan Watts quotes on your records. What What is your, if, if it's not too, you know, personal, what is your sort of spiritual rooting uh, throughout your life been? Uh, how, how, is that, how has that looked? And how is it now maybe compared to how it was when you were growing up? Mm. Well, I grew up in a very Catholic, is that, are you asking about religion or just spirituality? I am. Okay. I, no. I yeah. Well, up, look, religion, spirituality. Uh, yeah. There. That's. <laughs> I don't know what. Religion. I don't know what I'm asking about. Yeah, it's no, an it's, open thing. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I grew up in a very like Roman Catholic household. My whole family is Italian, and we were just yeah. I was born into Catholicism, and then I went to Catholic school. I went to all girls high school. Um. But I knew at a young age that I just felt differently about whatever I was being told. I just, I just didn't, I don't know. I just like, it's almost like I was scared of it when I was young. And then by the time I was 13, I just didn't buy it anymore. And, um, this, I'm not knocking like (laughs) the Lord or anything, but I just felt like my, spirituality and I didn't know what to call it at the time I just felt like my way of feeling like there was something greater was different and um yeah yeah it was just not as black and white and so I called myself an atheist by the time I was 15 um and I don't know if I can call myself that anymore um I feel like music definitely helped me tap into like a like a I don't know a more spiritual side of myself because I I didn't when I started writing music it was the first time I had felt like an elevated feeling of like something greater is happening and I'm not saying this in a way that like like my music like comes from like God or whatever but Sometimes it does feel like that. Like I just, I have a hard yeah. time talking about, you know, someone will ask me like, where did this song come from? What, what does it mean? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I just sat down and it, and it just happened. And in those moments, I have to believe that there's something bigger like working and like, why am I able to do that? And why does it bring me so much peace? And uh, yeah. Yeah. Is, is, does talking about that stuff, is it uncomfortable because of the sort of loftiness of the, of the, of the idea, you know, like, I, I know. Yeah. But at the same time, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm very, very fascinated by where things come from. And I know that you could probably sort of, um, You could, you could explain 
anything away, right? Like, I'm, have you ever had it happen where you realize later down the road that one of your brilliant artistic ideas is just sort of like a slight mutation of another artistic idea that you had encountered earlier in your totally. your life? As yeah, in the moment you're like, this is yeah the hand of God laid upon my yeah. <laughs> weary, my weary soul. And then uh, this beautiful genius thing come, you know, emerge from me and it's great. And then later you realize, oh shit, that's like a dire straits lyric or whatever, you know? Um, but at the same time, I think about the, I think about our unconscious and our, or our subconscious, you know, and th th that's often where music is really coming from to some degree. And that's a mysterious yeah, part that's of, what I was part of our existence. At. You just explained yeah. it way better than I than I could. I'm I wasn't saying that my music came from something greater. It's just the the action and the the feeling that I get from it. It yeah, it feels beyond consciousness. Like it just feels like I'm in this space. Yeah. And my head yeah. is just like floating above me and I don't know. Yeah. Or why and I, it happens. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and I really want to be like pretty clear that I think it's entirely possible your music does come directly from God or whatever. But I also think that whatever that is, whatever the divine mm -hmm. is, um, whatever that mystery encompasses, it's something that we all sort of share uh -huh. and maybe are connected to. And when we get out of our way, our own way, just a little bit, it comes through, you know, does that, does that sort yeah. of jive with, with what you're talking Absolutely. about? Absolutely. And I feel that immensely when I'm in nature. Oh yeah. I feel yeah. that. Yeah. Like so many of us should just go outside because it's oh. just there all the time <laughs> and we're able the to connect. And, and I think that we're here to connect with that. I truly believe the that because it's like, yeah. carried me through i've had so many moments out in nature where i'm like oh my god like this is this is it this is it this is my one life and i'm supposed yeah. to be just a tiny piece of a, a bigger picture and i don't know yeah and i think yeah and i think that there's that kind of the internet slang people will say touch grass or whatever and it's so funny but it's also like probably no, exactly no, right touch grass please <laughs> touch grass it's great it's like to i think that that one of the things i like about music like yours is the way it 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 carves out some space for the kind of contemplation that we're talking about just simply like and there's also, of course, physical things, right, that can happen when you're listening to music. Your heart rate slows, your mind clears, mm -hmm. these other things, these physical, tangible effects mm -hmm. uh, happen. But so do those sort of mysterious and more spiritual ones where I think it's just kind of about giving, you are giving the listener a chance to um, experience something within themselves that's really important. And I know that it sounds like that's born out of a similar process that occurs within you that then is able to kind of, it's sort, it's sort of a, a as above, so below thing, right? Like for that to happen for you, maybe allows it to happen for the listener. Yeah. It's been really lovely to see people. I just, people have posted like themselves walking out in a field, listening to the record and I don't know. I that must never, make you feel incredible. I never intended for it to be that. I would never be like, you must go outside and listen to this. But the fact that people are just doing it is so special to me. It makes yeah. me so happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you, um, you did a great interview with a uh, previous transmissions guest, Jeffrey Silverstein for oh, The Creative yeah. Independent. First off, I'm such a big fan of that site. I love the talks that they do, and I'm a big fan of Jeffrey as a as a writer oh. and as a musician. And as a um, he was just so wonderful to talk to. Oh yeah, yeah. ace ace human being, uh, top to bottom. Mm -hmm. 
But in that interview, I think it was around the time that Romantic Piano was released when that came out. You said, right now I'm working on two wildly different records. Mm. Um, and I wondered if, if you know, are you, you mentioned tossing a lot of piano songs away. Were you working on stuff that sounded really different from this while making it? Um, and how? Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, you, you can finish. <laughs> I was going to say, and, 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 or having finished it have you turned to music that's that's vastly different what kind of stuff are you making um, these days i'm working on more lyric based music um i don't want to give too much away you don't have to we're but, just we're, at, we're we're after scoops here on aquarium drunkard transmissions um <laughs> I'll, I'll, more guitar based i'm i've returned back to the guitar cool not a lot of actually not maybe there's just one song that has piano not a lot of piano um yeah it's been interesting though to like i feel like my lyric writing has changed and mm. and like song structure has changed um yeah and then sonically it's just a different record and I and I yeah. do that, like it. It's intentional and it's not intentional. I just, by the time I finish a project, I'm so bored of myself that yeah. I have to do something else. So, yeah the the next the next project. I mean, I wouldn't expect it to be anything like uh, romantic piano. So we're not going to get romantic guitar next. You're not, you no romantic okay. disco maybe. No, I'm just kidding. But I mean, um, hey, I, you know, I'm, I won't give too much away. But it's it's I will I will say it's a a more fun record. That's I mean, well, I can't I can't wait to hear it. I and I also really I like that I like your honesty in saying that you get bored of yourself because. How could you not, mm -hmm. especially when you work on something kind of diligently and when you're after something and you really, it requires a lot of time with it, but yeah, you get, you get sick of, uh, I, I can imagine getting to the point where you're like, all right, I'm done with piano yeah, like or romantic piano for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing that you have shared on the internet was you sat down with our friends at In Sheep's Clothing and, and shared some records that you were really into and I wanted to ask you about one you'd shared Joanna Brooks record mm -hmm. um the, mm -hmm. that really incredible collection on Numero Group I had the chance to interview her back when that oh, really? was reissued wow. yeah I would love to interview her and I'm oh my gosh <laughs> yeah when she passed away it was such a it, it was a real bizarre I've had people that I've interviewed pass away before, um, but that one felt weird to me. You know what I mean? Like I really, when I hung up the phone with her, I, I sort of had this feeling that I was definitely going to talk to her again. Um, and so I maybe should have worked to actually make that happen, wow. but I didn't. Um, but nonetheless, you can find that talk in the transmissions archives because I, I just took the terrible phone recording I had and put it in the podcast feed just as another way of sort of sharing it. She was so incredible. I just was curious. She was and is so incredible. I was curious how you how you got into her work. I who don't introduced know. I, and I actually don't know that much about her. Mm. Um, but I think a friend sent me the record. And I remember I just that's all I listened to for like three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It was so, it was such an unusual collection of songs too. Like she had such a wide range of, um, like her arrangements were so different and vast, but they, oh, all, yeah. they all are like in the same family too. Yeah. It sounds like it's coming from someplace in her but it's it's it is varied i mean yeah and the way you can kind of go from these really synthy almost underwater feeling things to the way she would utilize flute and stuff i mean it's flute. 
all it's all incredible she was so crazy and fantastic to talk to because i at that time hadn't really interviewed a lot of new age people Mm -hmm. um i've since interviewed many more but at one point we were talking and she was like i love listening to my to the records i've made i love listening to the music i've recorded Mm. and uh and i was like yeah you know normally people don't say that or or artists that the indie rockers that i was talking to weren't saying that right because that doesn't sound um cool it's 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 not aloof it's a little on the nose it's it's cringe or whatever um but i was so moved by her saying that and she was just like well this music was given to me you know um uh, uh, like I have to, I'm the, I'm the first, I'm the first listener of it, you know? So it's like, I, I just thought that was so amazing. And the way she had this deep esoteric and like cosmic sense of her music mm. to me was just mind blowing. So I was really excited to see you spreading the word of Joanna okay. Brooke. She was just one of the, one of the greats. And, um, and I, and then the, another person who was cited, you know, uh, I always, I have such a hard time saying her name, uh, Emma Hoy Sege Miriam Gerbu, I think is about how you would say it or something like that. Um, the great Ethiopian nun whose piano recordings are incredible. Had you heard those before you made Romantic Piano or was that something that you heard after? Definitely heard. She, yeah, was a huge influence and when- and has been for a long time. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely uh, cited her on the bio for a reason. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, I can't, I can't. I mean, you can hear it too, and on, on a couple songs, definitely influenced by her. She was somebody else who was a visionary creator in that she didn't take much credit for these compositions. Yeah. Yeah. It's mind blowing to me. If I recorded that, I would say, yep, I came up with all of this. I am a genius. (laughs) I think for some people, they, and I feel like this too, like when you make something, it almost isn't yours anymore. Yeah. Or you can't remember how you did it. So it must just, I don't know. It, does that ever present difficulty in terms of like relearning material? Yes, definitely. And I'm I'm facing that now because I have a couple shows coming up in September and I'm having to relearn things. Um, and honestly, come I'm coming up with new arrangements because I think some things just cannot be recreated. Um, yeah. And I actually don't know that much about synths. So sure. I... I hadn't saved, like for me, a Gargaret, I could probably play none of those songs because I didn't save any of the patches. And I don't know, they're just gone. Like the moment yeah. is gone. And, and they're captured in the recordings, but I cannot recreate them. Uh, yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm- that, <laughs> I mean, it's really funny, but it's also uh, really understandable yeah. because. You're and you're doing this thing where you. I mean, you you aren't making the, the. Yeah, I don't think anybody would be too upset if no. there's a new arrangement or anything. But at the same time, it speaks to that sense of where this music came from, right? And how how it wasn't orchestrated mm-hmm. in the sense that you know maybe um, that people might might think. Yeah, and it was when I think it was made for me. It wasn't made for. sure or to make some grand like statement well i'm so i'm so glad that you did it that way because i really think it's a it's a really tremendous work that is really stands up on its own and and kind of like emma hoy's music the way when i listen to it i can't believe i mean first off she was classically trained and you have some classical training as well so it's not like she was um like some sort of amateur musician, mm-hmm. but she still makes choices melodically that somebody trying to uh, play in a very technically correct way would un- yeah. would be unlikely to make. Does that does that add up? Yeah, she had her own 
way of playing and her own special frequency and yeah yeah just a very unique player and and like we were talking about earlier I think it just comes from a deep part of herself yeah you can't recreate or you can't you can't mimic that it's so it's was so her own yeah um yeah just really special and just the way that you hear these almost touches of like i mean there there's a, there's jazzy touches there are obviously gospel touches there's classical elements and and then there's just like that complete almost f- you know free free music free free like not in the sort of atonal clanging free jazz sense but an actual out sensibility where she's sort of dancing on the edge of madness and, and she there are moments it for fame or for no variety or anything and and there are blue notes like there are if you listen oh, yeah. closely like she's hitting a wrong note i mean wrong it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong but <laughs> it's part of it i mean it's so everything that we hear is so edited and auto-tuned and i don't know it, you lose like human you you lose that human feeling or that the humanity in the music the art when you wipe it clean of all those little imperfections um were yeah were you able to let some things like that get into this record too totally. i mean are there yeah there, technically mistakes so there at the end of ways of seeing there's a blue note that drove me crazy like for the longest time and I couldn't edit it out and just the way that I recorded it it I tried to edit it out it just I it did not work with the ending and I just left it in there and I was like you know what this is how I played it I was really feeling so much while I was recording yeah. that take and I don't know. I think it's hard when you're making a record because you want everything to be just so. Um, But like I said earlier, I do think there's something beautiful about the imperfect. Um, So I had to to really practice what I preach to (laughs) to other friends and other musicians who will show me something and they'll be like, should I redo this? And if if the feeling is there, it doesn't matter if it's perfect. That's the that's the real that's the real thing right there is if the feeling is there, there's a rightness that goes yeah beyond uh you know the the sort of technical technical stuff and also I mean of course like a bl- sometimes blue notes are the prettiest notes mm-hmm. in the, in the weirdest in the weirdest way and so I'm I'm glad that you did that and just the way we want like things to be just so um, in existence they so rarely are and so. I think if we want art that reflects real life, maybe it's art that does allow for those human, those human qualities, which is again, yet another way that this is separated. Your work is separated from the sort of, um, corporate Mm. side of let's say ambient or, you know, mood based music where there's something deeper happening here than just the chill, mm-hmm. chill piano line. Unless I guess, I, in, I guess you just need some chill piano, in which case yeah. this is that too. So yeah. that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Let it be whatever you need it to be. That's okay. Yeah. 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 Well, it's been such an absolute blast getting the chance to speak with you about this great record and your, um, your process and, and where this is coming from. Thank you for taking the time to to do it. Thank you for having this wonderful conversation with me and supporting my music. That's Gia Margaret here on Transmissions. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce it. Transmissions is edited by Andrew Horton. Art for the show is assembled by Dakota Brown. Our music comes from Frank Mastin, drawn from his discography of gorgeous library music. If you want to hear more of it, visit mastin.bandcamp.com. Our executive producer is Aquarium Drinkard's founder, Justin Gage. 
Don't miss his weekly radio program, The Aquarium Drunkard Show, on Sirius XMU Channel 35 at 7 p.m. Pacific Time each and every Wednesday night. You get transmissions, podcasts dropping in your feeds on Wednesdays. You get The Aquarium Drunkard Show on Sirius XMU on Wednesdays. Transmissions is part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network. Visit the TalkHouse for more interviews, fascinating reads, and podcasts. Next week on Transmissions, record collector and musical archivist Andy Zachs joins me to discuss a lost Mort Garson recording. I hope you will come back and join us. Be well in the meantime. Until then, this transmission is concluded.